0: From now until October of 2021, two short films I created using Fruit Bowl interviews will be screening in queer film festivals across the U.S., and I wanted to let you know about them in case they're in your hometown. But even if they're not, almost all of these fests are offering screenings online for the U.S. and some for even global streaming. That means you can browse a whole library of queer films that you won't find on any of the major platforms. It's a great way to support queer filmmaking and also the festivals themselves. All of these fests have been big supporters of my work in the past and it's really important to me to support them so that they can continue to serve our community. I'll put links in for all of these fests in the show notes of this episode in case you want to check them out. First up, the short film I made for this year's Hump Film Festival, Stephen and James' Best Girlfriends, will be an outfest in L.A., August 13th through 22nd. This film was inspired by Stephen's interview from episode 10 of season 2. It's a little love letter to New York City in the 90s, where the only apps were served before dinner and queer sex was always just around the corner, in an alley, or even Hoboken, New Jersey. It includes amazing photos by Stanley Steller that document New York City's golden age of cruising as well as illustrations by the very talented Allegra Figroid, Stephen and James will also screen at the Northwest Film Forum's Local Sightings Film Festival, September 16th through 26th, right here in Seattle. These next few festivals will be screening Stephen and James, as well as my short titled Four Fruit Bites, which is a collection of four short films I edited from season two that feature trans, genderqueer, and non-binary interviewees from Season 2, Jai, R.C., Ade, and Anders. Both of the shorts will screen at Austin's PRISM Festival, August 26th through September 6th, Cinema Diverse, the Palm Springs Gay and Lesbian Film Festival, September 16th through 30th, and also Chicago's Reeling Film Festival, September 23rd through October 7th. As I've mentioned before, almost every interview for Football is filmed, and the long-term goal is to make a documentary series. So these two shorts, in addition to my short, Porn Yesterday, are good examples of what I think that documentary series would look like. Thanks to my newest patrons, Dan G. and Ryan H., who will now receive advanced access to episodes, behind-the-scenes updates, and exclusive access to video outtakes for each episode. That brings us to 23 patrons who, together, provide $124 per month. My new goal for monthly donations is $375, which would allow me to hire an assistant editor, so I could start cranking out episodes a lot faster. If you're interested in learning more about becoming a patron, check out fruitbowlpodcast.com donate. All right, that's it from me. Now here's Ryan. I would go to
1: supermarkets and I would steal Flex magazine and um, hide it like under like in behind my, my shorts and like under my shirt and then like walk out and I would steal copies of it and like furiously masturbate and like it was more just like exploring bodies that I thought were really hot. A lot of the early masturbating was doing push-ups against stacks of magazines, like I was fucking the magazines with the guys that i found attractive in them or i would cut out pictures of all of them and lay them all around the floor and then like fuck the magazines surrounded by all of my lovelies
2: welcome to fruit bowl an oral history of queer sex
1: i'm ryan and i'm 37.
2: this interview was recorded in july of 2019 in san francisco I
1: lived in a family that moved around a bunch, so I didn't stay in any one place a long time. But the two places I spent the most time in were Gilroy, California, which is south of the Bay Area, and that's where I went to grade school and stuff, and then I went to high school in Colorado, where my whole family's from. They were like suburban, both of the, the towns, like. My dad had a big job. We moved there for that. And my parents had grown up in Colorado.
0: Where in Colorado?
1: Um, Arvada,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, which is just northwest, uh, well, right in between Denver and Boulder. And it's a suburb, but it, like, there were a lot of people that had moved there in like 1965. So it was like an aging suburb. My family was like just the tight core members, like mom, dad, sister. And then my parents split up. And then my mom got a new boyfriend, they had a baby, we lived partly there. Um, We had an extended family that lived close that I could call on, but it was like very, like, very, you you didn't spend a lot of time with family members. The earliest memory of anything sexual is like Skinamax. I had to be in, like, first or second grade, something like that. And my parents, like, pirated cable, and there was, like, the Skinamax channel or Cinemax channel, which had, like, softcore porn all the time. And I would just come across it, and that was, like, really what I, when I learned,
0: like, oh, that's sex. Do you recall a title?
1: I don't. I just remember a lot of really, like, blurry, can't-quite-see-it, like, softcore, like, uh and then, like, being scared my parents are going to see it. I don't remember the titles. They didn't know
0: that you were watching it.
1: They would catch us. You know, it was something we were all aware of when we were changing the
0: channels that that would pop up.
1: But it just was kind of like, okay, it'd pop up.
0: But did you ever sit there and just watch a full episode? Or did you not have that privilege?
1: I wasn't even desiring to. Like, I, it didn't turn me on. It was, like, straight porn. Um And it was more just curiosity and, like, understanding that, okay, this thing is real or something. I was really sort of disembodied with, like, any sort of connection to sex. The next connection I have to sex or any sexual feelings is, like, in, like, eighth grade, middle school, and being alone after my parents had divorced and i was like hanging all around in my mom's house and i was on the computer and all i have a memory of is i'm like sitting at a desk and like playing computer games and i think i was playing like moon or something and i got bored and there was just a vhs cassette and on it was like tony little like like flexing for the camera He's wearing full spandex. He's got a freaking weird ass hat. Like, think like early 90s fashion. My mom would watch these videos. And then he's just like, his body turned me on. And I just looked at it and I remember all I remember is bumping into the side of the desk and coming. And not even be aware of like stroking myself or any sort of like uh, provoking this to occur. I was like quite surprised by it. It was like my first like, ugh. And then I kind of discovered masturbation through that action. And I didn't really like search out educating myself about sex because I wasn't drawn to sort of traditional sex a lot of the time. So it was like I was more drawn to stimuli that turned me on. And actually one of the first ways that I really explored that is I would go to supermarkets and I would steal Flex magazine and um, hide it like – under like in behind my my shorts and like under my shirt and then like walk out and i would steal copies of it and like furiously masturbate and like it was more just like exploring bodies that i thought were really hot a lot of the early masturbating was doing push-ups against stacks of magazines like i was fucking the magazines with the guys that i found attractive in them or i would cut out pictures of all of them and lay them all around the floor and then like fuck the magazines surrounded by all of my lovelies what was like not as fun for me is that I had a lot of shame about it. I was hiding it, but then I would also go through things where it was almost like flushing all of those images out and like hurriedly throwing them all away and like shoving them in the garbage can and then doing it all over again, over and over and over again. And there were multiple times where these things were discovered, whether I left a magazine out in the bathroom or um, I hid them inside of a, a table in the garage Um, Even putting them in in the garbage can, someone opened it and saw them. So my mom would talk to me and she'd be like, what's this? And she was fine, but she didn't talk to me about it, you know? And then she was like, oh, we're thinking we should get an exercise thing in the garage. So I think she thought of it as just like I wanted to be a bodybuilder, but it was like a little bit different than that. And it never, the conversation or anything never went to where I felt supported. It was just like all shame and like isolation with it.
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: And I would just, like, go on the computer and search out, like, musclebears.com with a Z. Um, and it was just dudes that were posting their profiles and just, like, kind of standing there. It was a lot of it's, like, off-season bodybuilders, guys who are, like, a little bit thick and not, like, super cut. It was definitely the like, gainer porn, like, guys getting bigger. It wasn't even rare. It wasn't really ever watching porn where people were fucking. It was not something ever that I really did. Um, that was more, like with my friends in high school, and they, like, wanted to get a porn. I'm like, okay. Um, but it was always to pictures, and it was, like, continues and continues and continues to this day, and actually in a lot of
0: forms, too. It What is Flex magazine? It's a bodybuilding magazine. Okay. So there were men and women? There were men and women in the magazine, yeah. Were you conscious of, at the time, looking at male bodies more than female? Or was it more just this sort of titillation it was entirely dudes Okay, that I was into. So by then you were conscious of your preference.
1: It just was. You know, I wouldn't call myself conscious of my preference. I think that I would just look at it and I didn't think of it as men or women or something. Like, I was only drawn to what I was drawn to, which was all the dudes. But I didn't self-define as gay or think of myself as gay or engage with that concept for myself at all. And I didn't think about it all through high school. And I even had girlfriends and... Um, faked orgasms with a, a girlfriend after I lost my virginity, but I had relationships with them and had good sex with them, penetrative sex, but the concept of gayness and like whether I was attracted to dudes or not, I just like completely locked that part of my brain and like put it over here until I was in like later in college. Same-sex crushes in high school were me getting into weird, codependent, very close friendships. Um, and pretty much there was just one person that I kind of, like, super got into. Um, and, like, I went through a lot of trauma shit at home with abuse with my mom's boyfriend and ended up jumping around in different houses. I lived with my dad and that didn't work. And then I ended up living at this guy's house. We had an emotional connection that was, like authentic too it's just being a part of his family but then having a distance and he had a girlfriend so like first crush was the guy you in know a, in a relationship and that did not end well first time i had sex was with uh, a girlfriend and we were on the couch um probably 16 years old we had rented the remake of the mod squad starring Giovanni rabisi and i got a condom on and i tried to she said wrong hole so i think i put it in her butt first and then uh we had sex and i think it was really really fast and then i took the condom off and then i couldn't find it and then i found it like a week later and it was like under the couch like and it could have been found at any moment um it was really fast but we had a really good time The first sex I had with a dude was in college and it was a friend that I got a really close friendship with, but just like the other guys, he also, he was bisexual and like the other guys, it was like, you know, we had a really close intimacy, but we didn't, it never cultivated any physical action. And then him, we were just like in our like dorm room and well, he didn't live with me. Uh, he just was there all the time. I shared it with three other people and I was watching TV with him. I can't I think it was the Pippi Little Longstocking movie, because I was showing him that movie that I liked, that I liked. We ended up just like furiously making out and grinding up against each other and like masturbating each other and like giving each other a hand job and then like coming and then being it. Um, we hooked up a couple other times in I shared I had like one of those dorms room dorm rooms like in this larger suite where there was like a door separating us, but like me and my roommate had a half wall between us. And him and I were watching Moulin Rouge on the computer and laying on my bed and, like, making out and, like, having intimacy. And then on the other guy, the other side, the other guy was there. And he would, like, come out and, like, look. And we would, like, just, like, go back to, like, nothing was happening. And then he'd walk out and then we'd, like, make out again. Um, there was some of that for a while. And then it, like, there was a breaking point with our intimacy and where we got in a fight. And that was, like, over. <laughs> There's like a timeline with girls, and I definitely fell in love and had sex with them in intimate ways. Not with tons of frequency, but definitely had that with women before I had that with men. And then my first time I fell in love with a dude was a boyfriend in college, like maybe like a year after my first dude experience. And he like lived in a town that was kind of close. I went to school in upstate New York. I was at Syracuse and he was at Ithaca. And he was a grad student there, and he would he would drive up, and then we'd spend like weekends together, and we had like a really fun time. And I thought he was super sexy, and we'd have a lot of butt sex, and um, it would feel really good. And then he wasn't the most expressive person, um, and so like hanging out would sometimes get hard. But he was a sweetie, and we fall in love, and then uh, we were together for a while, maybe like six months to a year, and we broke
0: up. That well, sounds like a good first boyfriend. Yeah, he's still in my life today. He's a good friend today. Oh, I love that. Yeah.
1: There was a guy that I thought was so hot. I had a huge crush on him in college. And we both did Habitat for Humanity together. Um, met there. He lived in upstate New York, but went to school somewhere else. And when I flew back to college one year, I flew back a couple days early and flew into a airport close to him, like Poughkeepsie or something. And then I went and stayed at his house for a couple of days. It was weird because I don't think his parents liked me being there, and I was, like, confined to the basement, and they were not nice to me, and he was, like, hiding me there. And I had a bedroom there, and it was, like, really weird, and I did not have the social skills to even, like, function or whatever. And he would, like, come down, and, like, it was like we were a little bit hiding, but then we were, like, totally not at the same time. anyway he really annoyed me when staying with him for a long time once I was there like we did not get along and we did not have the same things that like made us feel like oh and uh the Christina Aguilera beautiful music video came out around that time there's like two guys that kiss in it and he just loved it and he wanted us to kiss when they kissed in the music video and I could not take the situation seriously but did it anyway and then after that I was blowing him, and he came, and it went up my nose. And I just did not know what was happening, and I was really worried. It was like, ah! And it just was like embarrassment because I was in this place, and I'm trapped, and there's Christine Aguilera playing, and then I've come up my nose, and this person I don't even like. And then I had to go eat bad mole. That's pretty much it, I think. That's a good
0: one. <laughs> Especially the bad mole,
1: It was such a disappointment. I was, like, really open. I was like, oh, they got mole here. And it was, like, early with my relationship with mole. And it was just trash. My best move, I have a good sense of intimacy and just making people feel really comfortable and being affectionate. And there's a lot of guys that, like, are so, like, with everything. And I don't really fit in that world at all. And it stresses me out. Um... And so I just like can create good experiences with authentic people where we can have a connection. And I'm a good kisser and I'm like super, I'll body grind on you and I'll feel nice. I'll take care of you. I can have intimacy anywhere. Um, I get attention and I like attention. Um, And so there have been times where I've had that level of intimacy in public spaces. um, Whether I'm like making out with a dude in a bar or like. Being more hands-on when like the middle of an event and I'm like on the floor with somebody or getting blown in the middle of everything like I find myself in public situations where I'm having a really one-on-one connection with somebody and I'm not paying attention to anybody else and there's something about that that I like but the second that I start paying attention people watching me I'm like "Mm -hmm," like I'm not excited at all so there's a fine line there and so because of that my final answer is that I like You know, uh, a private space, a bedroom, a hotel room, something where there's a level of comfort where it can control the environment, put on some nice, chill, sexy tunes, um, get the lighting just right so I feel relaxed, um, and then spend some time with the guy.
0: What's your go-to playlist?
1: Um, Okay, when I'm lazy, I play Bonobo all the time. I just put on Bonobo Shuffle,
0: and it's like, yeah. What about Sade? Sade,
1: Sade reminds me of Nazar. Nazar, and we worked together at Aladdin's Natural Food Eatery, and we'd open up the store, and he would put on Sade, and then he would talk about how he would wants to have sex with the women, and talk about it at length, and he was kind of hot, and I was attracted to him, and he would talk about sex with hummus as lube, and then I had to like, this. so that's all I think of when I think of Sade.
0: <laughs> My go-to used to be actually uh, Depeche Mode. Okay, that's good too.
1: That's <laughs> a pretty good one. I find that I'll like make mixes and then I like put them on during sex and I'm like, oh, that's actually like a sex mix. That's yeah. <laughs> just like what I'm listening to all the time. I'm a gay dude, but I'm a member of the bear community and I'm also a member of a, the gainer community. Yeah. Could you
0: just explain that?
1: Um, a gainer is sort of like a kink where you're into either yourself getting bigger or other people getting bigger and helping them do so and it could be either fat or muscle or both or either kind of thing
0: and and how does that play out with a partner your role do you encourage people to gain or, or do you yourself do it
1: both okay. I think that it's like um, they'll be like so there's a social network on the internet and It's almost like, think like Facebook for gainers. And so you have relationships with a lot of different guys and you'll have like sexy conversations and some guys are really off on a kink of like, just like getting bigger and bigger and bigger and you feeding them and that's it. And then other guys, it's just like showing off their body and they get off on that. Um, I personally, I also like kind of get off on getting bigger myself and having those relationships with other guys too. Like, I've never been a person that, like, actively hooks up a lot. Like, I'm not, like, set like I sometimes feel like I should be. To be, like, healthy sexually, I need to be desiring sex all the time and going after guys all the time and driven by that. But in reality, the, my spurts come few and far between. Um, I think that that's more expected and normal when you get older, I think. When younger, I felt a lot of pressure to always feel, like, hooking up or be attracted to a lot of people. And I put myself in a lot of situations where I felt like I owed a lot of other people. Like I couldn't have a type or something I was into because it would dismiss somebody else. I went through that phase. But I would let other people's terms about like what's normal in gay hookup culture really define what I was supposed to be doing. And then it took me a long time to be honest with myself about gainer stuff, to start having gainer hookup situations, to pursue those, and also... I have a husband and going on a journey with him around that stuff too. Now I hook up and I have a plethora of hookup experiences that are more aligned with what's actually going to get me off and that being more what I'm kind of just concerned about or looking for and feel more confident that I can define that for myself. Same amount of hookups. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but more satisfying ones that are more actually what I'm
0: looking for. Yeah. Yeah. How, how do you find those people
1: um so with me it's like you can get on the apps and i can start chatting with somebody and every once in a while there'll be a person where you kind of have an energy between you two and then it manifests into something other times it'll be someone i've seen out and then we chat and then we connect and they slide into the dms and then we start messaging then i end up in their city or they're here and it's it for me a lot of it has to do with developing a little mini intimacy together that I actually feel is I'm turned on by because the sexual tension and stuff really matters to me and it's like a big part of it and I don't have that I'm not gonna want to hook around hook up with you like just I'm just like oh okay like I'm not eh. drop the shame work through the shame face the shame talk to somebody about the shame, just be more open about it earlier. It's like everything was driven by shame, hiding my sexuality from people and getting out of Colorado because it was stuffy and bad there. Uh, Shame about being into fat guys. Shame about uh, uh, masturbating. Shame about uh, being into myself getting bigger and being turned on something about my own body as part of my sexuality. It's, like, so normal for gays to have a lot of shame just because of, like, family structures, like, common experience. A lot of guys have this. We still don't talk about it within communities either. It's just a constant theme of jumping from shame to shame to shame and that only through kind of, like, feeling that and, like, talking to other people with similar experiences have I got to a place where I feel like I know where I'm headed, I guess, and have given myself space to experiment. Mm -hmm. Gay identity has been a thing for a long time. We are familiar with gay history, hookup culture, the, like under the piers, back alleys, like sex clubs and things like this. And how starting with people my age and younger, the internet has changed how people relate to sex, bodies, and each other, where so many people develop their sexual appetites and skills separated from other people. At the same time, access to visuals of others. And I think that we're going to see a next generation of a remapping of sexual kinks and sexual subculture that is more informed about fantastical fetishes that are away from reality mm-hmm. that you experience online and, and just run with and find yourself turned on by. And that being a much more uniting experience mm-hmm. and a lot of sexuality based off masturbation. Everything's changing, yeah. <clears throat>
0: Yeah, it's becoming less about real life interaction and more about the online sort of world that people discover.
1: Yeah, I think that just is—it's not the same. And we're fooling ourselves if we think, "Oh, it's just all the same." But it's not. I also have a master's degree in sexuality, so you should totally trust me.
2: Fruitful interviews are edited for clarity and brevity, and are approved by each interviewee before being released. Visit fruitbowlpodcast.com, where you can learn more about this episode, browse the episode archive, and watch original videos. Help support Fruit Bowl's efforts to collect, archive, and share personal stories about queer coming of age by making a small monthly donation through Fruit Bowl's Patreon membership. Patrons get early access to episodes, behind-the-scenes updates, and occasional bonus content. Larger donations and sponsorships are tax deductible through Fruit Bowl's fiscal sponsorship with Seattle's Northwest Film Forum. Fruit Bowl collects histories from all different backgrounds and experiences. Cisgender women, trans and genderqueer individuals, black people, indigenous people, and people of color. It's only by collecting diverse stories that we can begin to see what unites us. Interested in sharing your story? find out more about the interview process including a full list of questions a description of the collaborative interview process contact information and news about future production visit fruitbowlpodcast.com for links and contact information fruitbowl is created produced and edited by dave Quantic. i'm syra b This has been a production of cubed media, LLC, all rights reserved. Thanks for listening.